everybody, and welcome to Scorch Justice, the podcast covering the murders of Jessica Lynn Chambers and Ming Sheen Show. And I'm Woody Overton, your host. When I left you last, Quintellis had just beaten his second jury trial. He didn't beat it, but it was another hung jury, right? He became a suspect, really, in Jessica Lynn Chambers' case after he was arrested in Louisiana. So let me tell you about that now. Shen Shou was 34 years old and from Taiwan. She was a foreign exchange student and attended the University of Monroe. She had just graduated with a master's degree in education and was looking for a job. She lived in the 400 block of Philo Avenue in Monroe, which is adjacent to the campus, y'all. And she was found dead on August the 8th in her apartment and she had over 30 stab wounds and cuts and slices all over her body. She was found eight months after Jessica's murder, and on that day, the same day she was found, Quintellis is in Monroe, and he married Chiquita Jackson. The neighbors had reported a foul smell coming out of her apartment, and once they entered it, she was found dead on her bedroom floor. Detective Dwayne Cookson was assigned the case and he determined, as I would have also, because of the wounds and the nature of them, he determined this crime was personal and that Mandy most likely knew her murderer. There were no signs of forced entry into the apartment and the neighbors were interviewed. And like I told y'all before, one of them met this black male at the bottom of Mandy's staircase and this male was just asking questions about Mandy and it made him uneasy and that person was able to get the license plate of that man and the license plate came back to Quentin Tellis. Several of the neighbors that were interviewed said that Quentin was at Mandy's apartment between July the 27th and 28th and that they were arguing. The upstairs neighbor reported hearing Mandy's bed fall on July 29th between 8 and 10 p.m. She recognized the sound because her bed had fallen recently and it made the same sound and the apartments were all furnished with the same furniture. So the police used Mandy's debit card and tracked the movements on July 28th. And they had a surveillance tape, y'all, at the Walmart in Monroe, which showed Mandy and Quinn together. And it's unclear of their relationship from the video, but they were talking. It's believed that Quinn tortured Mandy for her Chase debit card and PIN number, inflicting superficial cuts and slices on her body, which was done so Mandy would feel the maximum pain. Think about that, y'all, okay? That's a horrible, horrible way to die. 
Police believe Quinn killed Mandy after getting the PIN number for a card sometime between 5.22 and 8.16 p.m. on July the 29th. The cell phone records show at 5.22, Mandy called a friend to ask for a ride to church. And at 8.16, Mandy's phone called her bank and entered the debit card number and PIN. I submit to you that they're right, right? That Mandy wouldn't have been calling her bank just to enter the de- the card number and the PIN number. Quinn was doing that. Anyway, immediately after the phone calls to her bank, Quinn's phone pings 60 meters from Mandy's apartment. The cops think he was still in the apartment at the time, y'all. On July 30th, Quinn asked his mother-in-law, Chiquita Jackson's mom, to take a blue Chase bank card with a Chinese name on it to the ATM to withdraw $2,000. The neighbor took the card to the bank, but only checked the balance. I guess they were like, this is kind of fucking shady, right? On August 1, Quinn withdraws $400 from a Vicksburg, Mississippi ATM, and the phone records and statements show Quinn and Chiquita were there that day. On August the 17th, 18th, and 19th, ATM cameras show Quinn making more withdrawals on Mandy's card. At some point on one of these days, he withdrew $1,000 from her account. When the cops catch him, initially, Quinn said he knew Mandy because he was buying prescription drugs from her. And he explained they were at the Walmart picking up her prescription, which he paid for later. And the prescription was for Laura Tabial pain pills. But when they questioned him again, he said he got the Mandy's card from a drug dealer named Jay, with the, the initial J. But then he changed the story that he got the, the card from a crack candidate named Kenny. Now y'all, what's the show? It's Quinn's pattern, right? The same thing he did when they came from Cortland and interviewed him. He changed the story over and over and over again. Certainly probable cause, right? That he's involved because the one thing that never changes is the truth. So they arrest Quinn on a warrant. In the warrant, it states that someone attempted to clean the crime scene and there was no DNA. But the witnesses' accounts I already told y'all about were enough to get the rest. Remember, the rest is 50% plus one probable cause. It, just because you're arrested doesn't mean it's beyond a reasonable doubt. I believe that they acted correctly because of the way Quinn was changing his story. I believe wholeheartedly you get that arrest warrant, you put those bracelets on, you bring them in, and guess what? They're going to change the story again and again, and you try to build that case. You disprove whatever it is they're saying, and at some point you hope to reach the level of beyond a reasonable doubt. They also found shoes believed to be Quentin's, which had a dark stain on them that they thought were blood. Quinn was initially held without bond on second-degree murder charge for Mandy. He pled guilty to the unauthorized use of Mandy's debit card, but not guilty to the murder charge. But guess what? 
state of Louisiana doesn't fucking play, right? So what do they do? They sentence him as a habitual offender because of his past. What I told y'all about, 2006, he had a fleeing a police officer charge. 2007, he had a burglary charge. 2009, larceny and burglary. 2009, possession of marijuana. 2010, DUI. 2011, burglary. What's a common thing here? He steals, right? And crimes were progressing as he moved matured as a as a bad guy remember he was released originally released from, from prison on those charges in october 2014 and then jessica was murdered in december so in louisiana when they took the plea he got 10 years in the wichita correctional center in monroe and they were basically waiting to try to build up enough to charge him with Mandy's murder. Y'all, Wichita Parish is in the extreme northeastern corner. It's by Monroe of the state of Louisiana, probably two hours from Cortland. So Chiquita is questioned at some point and tells the police that Quentin isn't working and hangs around and watches her son or hangs out with Ready for this? Eric Hill. So the cops go and they question Eric Hill. Eric implicated a guy named Curtis Lemons. He said he was given Curtis a tattoo and Curtis told him that he stabbed a Chinese girl until she gave up the pin number for her debit card. Eric picked Curtis Lemons out of a photo lineup, but he refused to initial it. When Quinn was placed in the lineup, Eric denied knowing anyone in it. According to court reports, Eric Hill told police things only the killer would know. Police then told Eric they knew he was Shakita's cousin, and he then changed the story. He said he wanted to frame Curtis Lemons because he was mad at him and he admitted he knew the details because Quentin told him. Eric said Quentin and him were telling war stories and trying to see who had the best story. And Quentin told Eric about robbing a woman for her credit cards, beating her, and stabbing her. Y'all, I'm going to take a second and talk about this. Go back to Jessica Lemons murder case remember the sister who had eric tattooed on her hand eric y'all not Derek. nobody ever talked to this eric right but he is legitimately quentin's homeboy and who lives two hours away in monroe i mean they hung together they ran together and eight months after jessica's murdered Quinn marries into the family, right? All right, back to Eric. On August 18, 2020, Eric Hill testified that Quinn bragged about killing Mandy days after she was killed. And he stated that all the wounds on Mandy were not meant to kill her and he told other details to the cops that only the killer would know. 
but then he, he, he comes back and he recants his statements in a notarized written document, but it had two different handwritings on it. One belonged to Eric and the other belongs to Quintellis. Okay, y'all, so this is where we're at. I mean, it's a horrible, brutal murder of Mandy. But what I can't get away from is you finally have Eric. And I absolutely know, just as the law enforcement knows, that Eric has personal knowledge of Mandy's murder, all about the superficial cuts and and what it was done for. I mean, just little intimate details. And you just don't tell anyone that, right? So, I mean, it's not like I'm going to tell my best friend, you know, I, I murdered somebody and I did whatever. I don't care what kind of war stories you're trying to tell. You don't do that. Me personally, I have no direct knowledge, but I'm telling you what I think. I think that Quentin and Eric have been running together for a long, long time, including eight months prior to Mandy's murder when Jessica was murdered, okay? And how do you solidify your relationship if Eric is the one who actually threw the gas on Jessica and set her on fire? If Quentin had sported Jessica in front of Eric, right, and got, got her to come over that night and, and give her some dope or whatever reason, she stopped by. But here's the deal. Remember, Jessica was going to take her friend Keisha to Memphis for the night to party for her birthday, her 21st birthday. Well, guess what you, what you need for that? Money. There's nothing cheap in Memphis, Tennessee. Bill Street is not cheap. That's like New Orleans Bourbon Street, y'all. If you're going out in Memphis, you're going to have some money. And guess what? Quinn rode around with Jessica earlier that day. Okay, and he would have known that Jessica was going to Memphis and that she's going to have a pocket full of cash because she's taking her best friend out to party and it was going to be on Jessica, right? So what does he do? He does his usual bullshit and he calls her over and maybe he tried to have sex with her first. Maybe they tried to run a train on her or something. I don't know, but he fucking killed her. And I, I think that he killed her and he took her money and he got Eric to go over there with him because once somebody had to drive the car, somebody had to get him out of there because I'm telling, telling you, he was in the hills. You, you could not walk it out of there. You're not going through those woods. You're not going to go in those hills and get away on foot and do this yourself. And, and you had to get a, a can of gasoline there, a large can, like a five-gallon can of gasoline there as an accelerant. So I think that Quentin had Eric probably follow him or either Eric drove Jessica's car and slammed it up into that embankment and Quinn followed him, but more likely Quinn did because Quinn was from Cortland. He knew where Heron Road was. And remember, I told you, if you go down Heron Road, you got a fucking reason to go down. It's really rural, hilly, small blacktop road. You'd have, you'd have to know it was there. I mean, I passed it up a couple times and I was looking for it. All right. So I believe Jessica got it right as her throat was burning shut 
when they said after she was saying help me help me help me i'm gonna die they said baby who did this to you and she said eric eric a couple of them thought she may have said Derek, but she said eric eric well that doesn't exclude quintellis right you got everything that led up to it the cell phone records the whole nine yards but what what it does says that jessica chambers had enough thought to say i'm a god you know she couldn't get out everything uh, you know quinn came over and i went with them rope whatever however it went down and but eric's the one who doused me in gas but i believe had she been able to say everything yeah, I believe that first of all, they left her for dead. But it, had she been able to say everything, she would have told a story about Quinn and Eric. And the fact that the female had Eric testified on the hand and they never found out who that Eric is is shocking to me. I want to read you a couple things from the New Star about Quintellis' case and Eric's case and the death of Mandy, so just bear with me. So, Wrighton Analysis says, Tellus helped write the affidavit recant the testimony of the witness. Okay, so remember, Eric goes in and he says, oh yeah, Quentin did it. Quentin told me he did it, etc. He then goes, when Quentin finds out, and Quinn's in trouble, Quinn gets him to write an aff sworn affidavit recanting his statement against Quinn trying to blame it on somebody else. I'm going to read this to you. So an affidavit recanting testimony from a witness in a pretrial hearing connected to a Monroe murder case was written in part by the murder suspect, according to a handwritten analysis requested by the 4th Judicial District Attorney's Office. Quentin Tellis is accused of the 2015 stabbing to death of Ming Chen Chow, a recent graduate of ULM who lived in her apartment adjacent to the campus. Y'all, that's Mandy they're talking about. Eric Hill was a witness in a 2016 case where Tellus ultimately pled guilty to one count of an unauthorized use of an access or a debit card belonging to Chow immediately before a jury trial was scheduled to begin. Tellus received a 10-year sentence as a habitual offender and was transported to Mississippi to face one pending count of capital murder connected to the December 2014 burning death of Jessica Chambers, who was 19 years old, in Panola County, Mississippi. After the second mistrial in the Chambers case, Tellus returned to Louisiana. He remains in custody at the Wichita Correctional Center. A pretrial hearing for Tellus was moved to December 17th at his most recent court date. So, this is what the affidavit says, y'all. My name is Eric Hill Jr. I'm writing and filing this affidavit on my own free will to state on or about May 11, 2016, I, Eric Hill Jr., was pressured by the Monroe police to take the stand to make a false statement against Quentin Tellis. 
Quintellis never told me anything about a crime, and I don't know anything other than what was put on TV. I, Eric Hill Jr., was charged with accessory to murder and was forced to falsely testify on the stand against Quintellis by Monroe police or be convicted of murder, a crime I had no knowledge of that supposedly happened if I didn't take the stand against Quintellis. Then it goes on to say that Hill is in custody at the OCC on pending charges of armed robbery. He's accused of robbing a convenience store on Christmas Day 2019 and has been in custody at the OCC since February 2nd with a $250,000 bond. Court documents filed by Assistant District Attorney Gary Acock on November 10th include a copy of a supplemental discovery motion featuring a handwriting analysis. On October 1, one copy of the handwritten affidavit was sent along with six letters written by Quintellis. October 6, analysis concludes the writer of the six letters wrote a portion of the handwriting on the affidavit. These portions of the affidavit are from language for the affidavit and the notary public acknowledgement section. The analysis notes, an exception is information appearing under a section titled, I hereby affirm and attest, and starting with the sentence, my name is Eric Hill Jr. Hill has not provided testimony in the second degree murder case but interviews with him are featured in warrants associated with the investigation. There are no accessory charges on file for Hill in the 4th Judicial District Court. Hill is also named and identified as the cousin of Tellis, Quinn Tellis' wife, Chiquita Jackson, in the Tellis warrant. It also states Hill previously dated Tellis' sister in Cortland, Mississippi. I'm going to stop reading right there, y'all. I got to talk about this. This is your tie. This is the smoking fucking gun, people. You got the history of these two bad guys. But the Eric that Jessica said when she was burning to death, he dated Quentin's sister in Cortland, Mississippi. So we know he's been to Cortland, Mississippi. Go do your fucking job, man. Pull his cell phone records. Put him there at the time. I think the state of Louisiana was banking on the fact that the Mississippi was going to get a conviction in Quentin's case. And they, you know, how many life sentences can you be sentenced to? And the victim in this case, Mandy, she's from Taiwan. It's, it's not like she had a big, huge family, political family here that's going to pressure real hard for the case to be done. I mean, why not let her, Quentin, go down for the murder in Louisiana, right? But th this is before. They found out about Eric, and and after the trial, you know, Eric comes forward with this information, trying to throw the shade off of Quentin and, and put it on this other guy, right, that, that was giving him the tattoo, and when he gets in trouble for it and they confront him about it, he crawfishes, but y'all, that means backing up in Louisiana. He backs up, recants the statement, and Quentin Tellis, who he – Gave the statement against and say, hey, yeah, Quentin told me that shit. You know, and Quentin Tellis helps him write this statement saying, oh, you know what? I, I lied when I said it was Quentin. You know, uh, no, I didn't lie. I was pressured 
by Monroe Police Department under the threat of accessory to murder. All right, so I'm going to continue because I think this is so important. Per the warrant, Hill had intimate knowledge of Child's murder and knew things only the killer would know when he was interviewed by police in August of 2015. Hill knew that Child was stabbed multiple times and that she was tortured until given the pen to the killer, the warrant states. Information regarding the number of times Child was wounded was not released to the media. The warrant states Hill told police Tellus provided him with the details. Hill said he initially falsely accused another man of providing the information because he was angry. Police searched the other man's home and could not connect him to the murder investigation. A judge has ordered that all parties involved should not discuss the case publicly. The Monroe Police Department is not able to provide comment regarding the allegations in the affidavit signed by Hill. Well, guess what? I'm not under restriction. And Eric and Quentin, I think they've got away with it twice, y'all. But it's not over. I'm going to read you a little bit more. So this is called Telus's Jail Correspondence. Correspondence between Telus and a woman named Tracy served as his handwriting samples and the letters were attached in the subsequent discovery finding. The personal letters feature Tellus referring to the woman as his future wife and indicating he plans to pursue a divorce from his current spouse when he leaves jail. Tellus married Jackson on August 8th, the day Child's body was discovered. Jackson was interviewed by police regarding Child's death and told police Tellus hung out a lot with her cousin. Her cousin, y'all, was Eric. The letters written by Tellus indicate that Tracy saw Tellus's trial on TV and was subsequently given his contact information by his mother. We both know that I've been married, and true be told, I wasn't ready for marriage at that point, Tellus writes. I also didn't want to hurt anyone feeling during that time. I'm going to get her name covered up and a divorce. In another letter, Tellus also states, I'm innocent. While another letter reads, I don't know why I got caught up in some mess that I didn't do, Bay, but I know that God's going to get me out of this situation. Tellus also acknowledges that people from everywhere write him and do things for him. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's crazy, right? I mean, I, I don't know what else to say mind-blowing but it, let me read you a little bit now from what the state of louisiana has state of louisiana versus quentin birddale tellis date of birth 10 6 of 1988 gives a social blackmail I, Dwayne cookson certify under oath that quentin birdell tellis did commit one count of 1430 first degree murder within this state and parish and the jurisdiction of the fourth judicial district court contrary to the form of the statutes of the state of louisiana in such case made and provided and against the peace and dignity of the same in that the following did occur on august 8 
2015, the Monroe Police Department began investigating the murder of Ming Chen Chow at 402 Fahilio Avenue, Apartment B, in the city limits of Monroe, Louisiana. Chow was found stabbed to death on her bedroom floor and in a severe state of decomposition. Dr. Peretti formed an autopsy and determined that Chow suffered more than 30 wounds from an edged weapon. Some wounds were superficial in nature and some were deep stabbing wounds. Based on the decomposition of the body, phone records and other factors, it was determined that the date of death was July 29, 2015, between 1722 hours and 2016 hours. During the course of the investigation, Quintellis was developed as a person of interest. Caitlin Hearn, who lived in the apartment of Bumchow, stated that a suspicious black male with short dreadlocks and driving a black Chevy Impala bearing Louisiana tag WJW-957 had frequented Chow's apartment on July 27, 2015 and July 28, 2015, looking for Chow and asking her if she had seen Chow or knew where she was. Hearn was suspicious of the black male and he creeped her out by asking strange questions. Hearn said that over the course of those two days, he came over at least three times and on the last time, she could hear him arguing with Chow. Hearn had written down the license plate as a precaution. Oh yeah, then it goes on to state about the video from Walmart, which shows the black male exiting the car that came back to him and entering the, the Walmart. He waited for Chow to complete the purchase and the two of them left together. On July 29, 2015 at 16.30 hours or 4.30 p.m., Chow made an ATM withdrawal of $20 from Chase Bank on North 18th Street. She was driven there by Connie Griffith. Griffith took Chow home after the transaction. At 17.22 hours, 5.22 p.m., y'all, on July 29, 2015, Chow called her friend Mary Rimes and arranged a ride to church for the upcoming Sunday morning. This was the last activity on Chow's cell phone until... 2013 hours or 8.13 p.m. when it connected to the neighbor's Wi-Fi. Hearn added the child always had lights on in her apartment at night and that she always turned the front porch light off in the morning time. Hearn said that since July 29, 2015, that there was never an interior light on the child's apartment and that the front porch light was never turned off. Hearn said it burned continuously from July 29, 2015 until the discovery of the body on August the 8th of 2015. Hearn said that she never saw anyone else come or go from Chow's apartment after July 28, 2015 and that her bicycle was never moved. Hearn was shown a photo lineup near the end of the interview. Hearn picked the photo of Quentin Tellis as the male that she spoke to at the bottom of the stairs in front of the apartment on July 27th of 2015. She said he was the person driving the black Impala and the one she heard arguing with Chow. Tellis' picture was image number five. Hearn initiated the cover sheet and the photo itself. This is important at determining the approximate time of death. 
On August 11th, 2015, the black Chevy Impala bearing Louisiana tag WJW957 was located. Quintellis and his wife, Chiquita Jackson, were detained and questioned with benefit of Miranda. Tellis submitted to go in Chow's apartment on July 27th and 28th of 2015. Tellis submitted to taking Chow to Walmart and that he purchased the lower tabs from her to resell for profit. Tellis also said that he paid Chow $25 for a television that he never received. Chiquita says that Tellis doesn't work and babysits her son. Chiquita said when Tellus isn't watching her son, he hangs out with her cousin, Eric. Both Tellus and Jackson were released. On August 18, 2015, it was discovered that Chow had a Chase bank account when the receipt from the $20 withdrawal on July 29, 2015 was found. A search warrant for her account activity revealed several transactions since her death. Please keep in mind that search warrants were written for records from various cell phone companies and Chase Bank. The information was returned by these companies was received intermittently. That means y'all, it was an ongoing active investigation. On July 29, 2015, at 2016.08 and 2016.15 hour, Chow's phone dialed Chase at 1-800-935-9935. Both calls were canceled. This means the person who dialed the phone ended the call after dialing the number, but before it was answered by Chase. Quinn tells his phone, 609-662-6019, dials Chase at 1-800-935-9935 at 2016 hours and, and 2018 hours. Chase records indicate at this time, the child's debit card number and her PIN are entered by the caller. AT&T provided GPS records which indicate at the time of these calls, Telus's phone plots within 60 meter of child's apartment. AT&T adds that the accuracy of the GPS location can be better than 300 meters. This means that Telus could and more than likely was inside the apartment when his phone called Chase. On July 30, 2015, at 11.24 hours and 11.26 hours, Tellus' cell phone calls Chase again. Chow's debit card number and pin again entered by the caller. And at 11.45 hours, Tellus wakes up his mother-in-law, save you some time with that, that's when he asked her to go take the money out and she went and checked the balance on it, but she didn't take any money out. Then they have them in, it goes on to state what I told you, they have them in Bixford, Mississippi, and Tellus called Chase again at 0146 and 0148 hours and entered the debit card number in the pen. On August 7, 2015, at 1121 hours, Tellus called Chase at 1-800-blah-blah and entered debit card and pen. On this date, there is a seven cent purchase at an Exxon Mobil in Monroe, Louisiana. The receipt for this purchase was located in Telus's bedroom during a lawful search of his residence on August the 19th of 2015. Several transactions occurred at a Chase ATM located at 1200 Sterling Road in Monroe, Louisiana. 
Photographs from the ATM transaction show Quinn Tellis withdrawing $500 on August 17, 2015, at 20.07 hours. Tellis attempted to withdraw $500 again at 20.08 hours and 20.08.54 hours. On August 18, 2015, at 20.34 hours, Tellis withdrew $500 from Child's checking account. On August 19, 2015, at 0204 hours, Telus withdrew $500 again. All these transactions are captured on ATM photos. That means they got Quintellus doing every one of them. On August 19, 2015, Quintellus was detained for questioning in reference to the unauthorized use of Child's Chase Debit card. A search warrant was executed at his residence where an Exxon gas receipt dated August 7, 2015 at 22.56 hours was located in his bedroom. The debit card number on this receipt matched the number on Child's debit card. The y'all, this obviously is after she's dead, right? A pair of Telus' shoes is found in an outside storage shed. They are white in color. The shoes have been spray painted white. Under the white paint is an obvious dark staining of suspected blood. The crime lab tested the shoes and determined that they had been washed prior to being painted and therefore the suspected blood evidence was destroyed. Tellus, with the benefit of Miranda, admitted that he was an individual in the Chase photos withdrawing cash from the ATM using Child's debit card. What the fuck else is he gonna say, y'all? <laughs> they got him, right? The photos don't lie. But Tellus stated that he had received Child's debit card from a drug dealer named Jay, and on August 17, 2015, and that was when he began making withdrawals. Tellus said that he exchanged the cash for marijuana that he could sell for profit. Jay was located in question on August 19, 2015, while Tellus was still detained. Jay was able to discredit Tellus' version event by his testimony and through third-party verification. Once Tellus was confronted with Jay's version of the events and the fact that we found the Exxon Mobil receipt from August 7, 2015 in his residence. He said he had received the card from a crackhead named Kenny. Kenny was located in question the same night as well. Kenny was able to discredit Tellus' story again. Tellus never offered a valid explanation of how he received Child's debit card once two of his lies were disproven by evidence and alibis of the alleged providers of the debit card. Tellus was arrested on August 19, 2015, and on May 12, 2016, he pled guilty to the unauthorized use of an access card, which is felony all. On August 28, 2015, at 1.17 hours, I was notified by Lieutenant Kenneth Hancock that an individual had come forward with information regarding this homicide. Lieutenant Hancock said that the informant was named Eric L. Hill Jr., and he seemed to have reliable information related to the investigation. At approximately 0415 hours, I picked up Eric Hill from the intersection of U.S. Highway 165 and Sandifer Avenue and brought him back to MPD at 700 Wood Street. Hill stated that he had gone to 3405 Reddick's Lane to do a tattoo on Curtis Lemons. Hill stated that Lemons had confessed to him that he stabbed the Chinese girl by ULM. Hill said that Lemons removed 
an identification card from his wallet belonging to an Asian female. Hill said that Lemons inquired if he knew any Asian females that could use the identification card to fraudulently obtain a cell phone. Hill said, Lemons said, that stupid motherfucker Quinn's got caught up using her debit card. Hill said that Lemons stated Quinn was dumb as hell for using the debit card. Hill stated that he heard that Lemons went to Chow's to buy or sell some pills. None of the evidence Hill indicated was in the house was found. Lemons couldn't be connected in any manner to the crime through various means. While reviewing notes on 8-30-2015, I recall that during the August 11, 2015 interview with Chiquita Jackson, she said that Quentin Tellis hung out a lot with her cousin, Eric. Eric, y'all. Eric. Detective Steven Snowberg and I made contact with Chiquita at Louisville Avenue on August the 31st, 2015 at 1445 hours. Chiquita was presented a photo line of, of six black males, which included Eric Hill. Chiquita pointed to image number two, identified that individual as her cousin, Eric Hill Jr. She initialed the photo and the cover sheet. Hill had intimate knowledge of the murder and he knew the details that only the killer would know. Hill knew that Chow was stabbed multiple times and that she was tortured until given the pin to the killer. Chow had superficial slices to upper extremities, shoulders, face, and ears, which are believed to inflict pain or torture until she provided the pin. The total number of the wounds was over 30. As previously stated, not all the wounds were meant to kill. The number of the wounds sustained by Chow was never released to the press. The official press release simply indicated that Chow was a victim of a stabbing. Eric Hill was finally located for a second interview on March 2nd, 2016 for a second interview since it was determined that he purposely deceived investigators and he was identified by Chiquita Jackson as her cousin who associated with Quentin Tellis. Hill said that the details of the murder as he told on August 28, 2015 were true and correct. Hill stated that he knew those intimate details because Quentin Tellis had told him those details. Hill said that he was angry at Curtis Lemons, that he falsely accused Lemons of the murder instead of Quentin Tellis. Eric Hill has a criminal history that includes convictions for robbery in Indiana. Hill dated Tellis's sister in Cortland, Mississippi. Hill said that one day after the Tellis Jackson wedding on August 8, 2015, he and Tellus were hanging out, telling war stories about their criminal past. Hill said they told numerous stories trying to one-up each other. Hill said that this is when Tellus disclosed to him that he had went to a lady's house, robbed her of her credit cards, beat her up pretty bad, and stabbed her. Hill said that Tellus confessed to him that the victim of the stabbing didn't want to give him the pin number, so he continued to stab and cut her until she did. Hill said that Tellus came into large sums of cash in the week before and after August 8, 2015 wedding, which is consistent with the ATM withdrawals. Hill said that he had seen the news stories of the murder and that he, a few days after the murder, Tellus asked him to do something for him and it's going to be dealing with some credit cards. Hill testified in pretrial hearings under oath 
to these facts during the May 2016 proceedings of the unauthorized use of an access card. And then it goes on where this officer uh, requests an arrest for Quentin Tellis for first-degree murder because he tortured and robbed Chow of her Chase bank debit card from which he had a substantial financial gain. And after gaining possession of the debit card, he brutally murdered her by repeatedly stabbing her and letting her body rot and decompose until being discovered. This case is based solely on the circumstantial evidence that points to only one suspect, Quinn Tellis. The crime scene was not discovered until 10 days after Child's death and appeared to have been cleaned up. No scientific or physical evidence was found that links Tellis or any other 16 DNA reference samples that were seized and tested. Child was last seen alive on July 29th, approximately 1645 hours when she was dropped off by Connie Griffin in the Rush Yellow is what I told you, okay? This is scorched justice. And this is what I want to say. This case would have never come about. I'm talking about Mandy's case. Would have never come about had Panola County Sheriff's Office, Bureau of Investigation, every FBI and everybody else who worked on the case, had they simply asked that lady who Eric was, she had tattooed on her hand. This is my personal belief. They would have been able to establish that Eric was in fact from Louisiana and that he and Quentin Tellus were super tight, right? I believe they could have got the phone records for Eric and that he would have been in Cortland, Mississippi on December the 6th when Jessica was burned alive. And had they done that, had they done their damn jobs, Quentin Tellis would be in Parchman, Mississippi State Prison for the murder of Jessica Lynn Chambers. And Ming Chow, or Mandy, 34-year-old graduate, recent graduate from Monroe, would still be alive. Is it coincidence that he got married on the same day they found her body? To Eric's relative? Hell no. I believe he had tapped out the credit card by that time, and he knew the gig was up. He knew they were going to get him. He knew he was on camera. Everybody in the world, fuck my 11-year-old knows that if you go take money out of ATM, they have a camera that looks at you. But he did it. He got away with it, but he knew when they found her body on, on August the 8th that this goose was cooked. Now, you watch what's going to happen, and I'm going to tell you this, and you heard it from me first. They're going to go back now and hit Eric for coming in and giving the false statement, trying to blame it on Lemons. I believe Eric knows. I don't think Eric had anything to do with Mandy's death other than Quentin told him about it afterwards, and he probably got some of the money or whatever, maybe a credit card. I don't know. But he damn well had the knowledge of it. And when he's pressed on it because of these guys in Louisiana did a hell of an investigation, they get the car, license plate, the video from Walmart and everything else. When he's pressed on it, he flips like a pancake on Quentin Tellis. Do the same thing, people. 
do the same thing about the war stories that you know Quintellus would have told him, Eric. But guess what? Quintellus didn't have to tell Eric the war story about Jessica Lynn Chambers' murder. You know why? Because fucking Eric was there. Quintellus did not get to that scene where Jessica was burned to death by himself, and he didn't leave the scene by himself. No way he makes it from that scene to his house, to Batesville, Mississippi, and back without assistance. And Jessica Lynn Chambers, they said, baby, who did this to you? Eric. You know why Eric hasn't given any information yet? I'll say it again. Because he, he participated. And at some point, Quintellis is going to change his story again. When he's looking at the death penalty in Louisiana, the one thing he's consistent on is he won't shut the fuck up. And now that they've proven that he got Eric to go in and try to recant his statement saying the cops pressured him and saying that Quentin did it, that dog's not going to hunt, y'all. You know, Quentin Tellis thinks he's smarter than everybody. When the gig is up, one of them's going to flip on the other one about Jessica's murder for probably exchange for life in prison instead of the death penalty. I don't believe this is done by a long shot. I believe that Louisiana handled it beautifully, but still more work to be done. Get Eric's cell phone records. Do whatever you gotta do. I'm betting my money. Bet my career. Eric was in Corland, Mississippi on December the 6th when Jessica was murdered. There's no honor among thieves. But again, Mandy or Ming Chow would still be alive had this not been a case of scorched justice. Scorch Justice is a production of Cloud 10 Media and Real Life Real Crime Productions. The show is executive produced by Cindy and Woody Overton and Sim Sarn for Cloud 10 Media. Matt Provisano is our supervising sound editor. The music is by Josh Cook. Artwork by Brian Stephanie. Be sure to download, subscribe, and like Scorch Justice anywhere you can download a podcast. You can follow me, Woody Overton, on Instagram at Overton Woody and at Real Life Real Crime to hear what I've got coming next. Thank you.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.